Revelation chapter 4 said each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. And day after day and night after night they keep on saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, that four and twenty elders fall down and worship the one sitting there. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Oh, hallelujah. You know why when we sing about the holiness of God, we feel a holiness in this place? Because His presence feels that kind of atmosphere. Amen. Praise the wonderful name of the Lord. Turn to somebody and say, He is holy. Amen. Our young people can slip out. While they're doing that, would you one more time just turn and smile at somebody and tell them they look better than they did the last time you saw them. Amen. Now some of you laugh about that, but I believe that. My Bible tells me that praise is comely. Praise beautifies. Amen. So every time I come to praise Him, He makes me a little better looking. Maybe not in my flesh, but in my spirit. I think God sometimes just looks at that part of me and says, You know what? You did it. (laughs) You live with it. Amen. But my spirit feels refreshed tonight. You know, this is either going to be your luckiest night or your worst nightmare. I haven't preached in over five weeks. That's a whole lot of preaching stored up for one service. God help me tonight to not mess up. That's all I prayed all day. God, I hadn't preached in a while. I've almost forgot how. We had such a great move of God around here, revival, service, and God, I promise you, is not through. He is not by any chance through. I believe He gave us a spark, and it's our responsibility to take that and run with it. And I'm believing God for great things this weekend. I feel the Lord has already begun to talk to me about the services. 
I would encourage you, if you can go support our choir on Friday night, I know you will be blessed. I know you hear them, but you will be amazed at how anointed they're going to sing Friday night. Amen. And you're going to be blessed with the ministry of Brother Jerry Dean from Bossier City, a man that I dearly love. And when I found out he was preaching, that made me that more excited about going Friday night. So if you can come, Bethel Tabernacle is at 1960 and almost the Hardy Toll Road. It's very easy to find. If you can't find it from there, call me. We'll send out a seeing eye dog to help you get there. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I say that all the time because more and more I find out that people are not bringing their Bible or they have an iPhone or an iPad. That'll be all right. But you really, there's nothing like grabbing this book. This thing right here has failed me. As a matter of fact, I tried to put my notes on it today and it wouldn't work. But this book has never failed. <laughs> Hallelujah. Every time I've opened its pages, it's been faithful. And I'm thankful for that. Don't ever get to the place where you don't carry a Bible. Psalms chapter 17. Psalms chapter 17 and verse number 5. Psalms 17 and 5 reads like this. Hold up my goings in thy paths that my footsteps slip not. Hold up my goings in thy paths that my footsteps slip not. Psalm chapter 18, verse 36. Thou hast enlarged my steps. You have increased the boundaries of my life. You have done that under me that my feet did not slip. Everybody said amen. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight about how to keep your footing in slippery times. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, help him preach. He's going to need it tonight. You may be seated. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that we live in an extremely unstable world and a very unstable time. If there's a word that could describe the day in which we live, I think chaotic would probably come most closely to defining the times in which we live. We live in a world that is so full of change that we can hardly keep up with them. It was just the other day that they told us that the oil industry was going to 
blossom like a rose and it was going to flourish and it was going to be unprecedented. And then I read just yesterday in the Houston Chronicle that a leading economic expert in the field of the oil industry has predicted that the next two years are going to be some of the worst years that we've seen in a long time. You can't count on the stock market because it's up and down and really the only people that know what's going to happen are those on the inside anyway. I'm not being negative. I'm just being real. We live in a very troubling time. It seems like from every side there are torrential currents that are pouring together in a confusion of life. I don't know if that could paint a picture for you, but that's, in my mind, that's how I envision the hour in which we live. Currents that are merging from every direction and every kind of current, and they are coming together, and you can only imagine the turmoil and all of the danger that lurks in such waters. It seems to me that everywhere we look, people are being shaken. It seems that everywhere we look, things are being swept away. Things that we grew up believing and understanding and accepting that were a part of the fabric of our life. Now they are being swept away to where on a daily basis we are being force-fed an agenda that is to loosen our mind and make our world, as they would say, more inclusive. I come tonight to tell you that I believe God is still God. And it doesn't matter how wide I open the door. If God says no, he's not going to let it in. And as far as I know, what was sin then is still sin now. Amen. But there is a current and currents that swirl around and people are being swept off their feet. Current problems that we deal with, setbacks, attacks, reversals, issues of marriage and family, all of those things seem to be joined together in this confusing hour. To say the least, these are slippery times. Slippery times. Values are slipping. Not only are values slipping, but the principles that people have lived by all of their life are suddenly non-important. Morals, my Lord, morals haven't just slipped, they've slid off the whole earth. The decency of the world in which we live is being assaulted every day and God's very creation is being, uh, is being put down by the spirit of the age in which we live. 
Not only are morals slipping, but I see in my own life people that are slipping. And certainly it is an easy time to lose one footing in such a day. There is nothing to me that is more difficult to do in slippery times And when you are slipping is to try to maintain your composure. Anybody ever slipped on ice before? Does anybody remember how foolish you felt while you were going to the earth? Here I am, a grown man, an adult, and I'm flailing around like a maniac. That's what happens when you slip. You lose control, and you never know what might happen. You never know how it's going to end up. It may not be anything. You may get back up and go on, but you may break a hip or an arm or a leg or something else. Most certainly, you're going to bruise your pride. Amen. Slippery times. In our text, David, to me, seems like a little child. He is a child who feels like or senses that he is about to fall. And he is reaching out for a steadying hand. He is reaching out for God to touch him and give him his footing. We don't know when David wrote this psalm. We don't know the period of his life in which he was living, you could surmise it could have been any stage of life. It could have been written when David was a young man, and you and I know that there's nothing more slippery than youthful times. But I've lived beyond that, and I can tell you, like many of you, that middle age can be slippery as well. And I'm certain that there are some of you that are aged tonight that could tell us that age is not a factor that you can slip in your older years as well. The truth is, slipping can happen to any of us at any age. The liability is there. It is a very present fact. And none of us are exempt from that. Now I know that probably assaults your spirituality and that probably hurts your spiritual pride and you would look at me and say brother Hughes you must be talking about somebody else I, I you're not talking to me tonight I I'm not the one that you're indicating could fall yes that's exactly what I'm indicating Because when I look at my Bible, I find out that the most holy angels fell. And they fell from the most sacred place. I find that Adam, who was placed in a paradise, found a way to ruin it. None of us are exempt from slipping. From the holiest place, And from the most beautiful place, if we are not careful and we do not know what will keep us on our feet, 
The times in which we live can take a toll on all of us. And I am not here to be negative tonight. I'm just here to tell you a fact. We live in slippery times. And David realizes, he seems to realize not only the potential of his slipping, but I think more than that, he realizes the injury that would be incurred if he were to slip at this time in his life. There have been moments in my life when I have had those awakenings, when everything has been clear to me, and I realized at that moment that if you mess up now, it's not going to just affect you, but it's going to affect everybody that's behind you. And sometimes that's the only thing that keeps my feet from slipping is to know that this is not the time to slip. This is not the time to fall or falter. This is not the hour to let go. This is the hour to hold on. You never know who's watching you and who is observing you and who is under your influence at this very moment. And it seemed that David understood that. He sensed that, that the danger, the price of falling was too great. There would be too much damage, the collateral damage that would be done in David's life and his kingdom and his family was too great. And so he cries out for God to steady him so that his feet will not slip. The damage would be too great for him to fall at such an hour. Can I remind you tonight that one who cannot hold on cannot carry on. And one who cannot hold on cannot keep on. And can I remind you that a man who cannot maintain his footing will never advance in his spiritual life. People are in no shape to help others when they're slipping. They're too conscious of their own frailties. So how does a person keep their footing in slippery times? How does a man or a woman in times like these keep their bearings and keep their senses about them? How do we in an hour like this remember what is essential and what is necessary? How many of us tonight understand how important it is that we keep standing? Amen. I've got to keep standing. It may only be for one person and that might be me, but I'm still worth standing for. But I know more than that. I know that there are others that if I were to slip and fall or I were to slip away, there would be an influence and a damage that would be done that I do not want to incur on anybody. And so I understand tonight how important it is of keeping my slippery feet from slipping. Whatever age in life it may be you are at, God, keep us from slipping. Keep my feet from slipping. Help me to stand my ground. 
Help me to not succumb to the currents of life that are swirling around me. I remember stepping into the ocean at one time as a young man, being in an area where the currents were very strong and heavy. And I remember as I stood there and those currents swirled around my legs, how they started moving me without me even wanting or desiring to be moved. The currents began to move my body. And so it is in life. I'm telling you tonight, church, it is important that you and I hold on in an hour when many around us are slipping and letting go and even in an hour when it would be easier to let go, it is important that I hold on. Amen. Somebody say amen. It is important that you hold on. David's prayer to God was for his goings. My goings. I, I've, I've tried to find out what that means, what it meant to David And I have come to understand that it was speaking of all of the events of his life. His rising up, his going down, his day or his night. Whether it was morning or evening, David was concerned about his goings. I need God to keep his hand upon me in my goings so that my feet will stay on his path. And that he will keep my feet from slipping. Somebody say it with me. God, keep my feet from slipping. His prayer was for God to help him. And it should be my prayer as well. That we would pray for God to keep our going. Amen. Our downsetting and our uprising. God. When I'm not even thinking about you, keep your hand upon me. When I'm not even being conscious, when I'm not being alert, keep your hand upon me. Last evening we were visiting with my father-in-law and Callie was being Callie and showing us all that she's capable of doing and jumping across a little stool and she would clap her hands and all the excitement you could imagine. We, you, you just kind of get caught up in it all. But I noticed that the more often she did it, the more confident she, did, she became. But with that confidence came a carelessness that instead of watching where her feet were going, when she would start to jump, she would turn and smile at Poppy to make sure Poppy was watching. Lo and behold, One time her foot didn't make it. She slips. She falls over. I'm sure it hurt her pride, but it hurt her body as well. That's what happens when we don't keep our eyes on what we're doing. Amen. So what is it? What can I do that can help me keep my feet from slipping in an hour like this? This is Bible study night, church. If you didn't know that, get your Bible out. Put your pen in your hand, write down something, take it home, put it in your mind, put it in your spirit and say, you know what, that's what I've got to do to keep my feet from slipping. And the first thing that I want to share with you is that old-fashioned 
convictions will still keep your feet from slipping. Old-fashioned convictions will still keep your feet from slipping. There is a confidence in David that is understood in his words when he speaks in Psalms chapter 17. And the confidence was that God was going to take care of him. That God was going to help him. A conviction that God would uphold him. A conviction that God would not abandon him. But more than just having a conviction about what God will do in my life, I need to have convictions about what I am willing to do in my life. I need to have some personal lines drawn and some personal boundaries in my life. I have to have some personal principles and beliefs and commitments from which I will not deviate no matter what happens. It's what got the Hebrew boys through the fire. A conviction. Nothing else but a conviction. You say, you, you sure of that? I am convinced of that. The only thing that got them through a fire and what they faced with Nebuchadnezzar was their conviction. And if you don't believe it, let me read it to you. Daniel chapter 3 verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. We're not even hesitating in what we're going to tell you. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to, to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. We know what God is capable of doing. And we know that if you turn it up seven times hotter, the heat isn't going to bother God. So turn it up all you want to turn it up. We are convinced, we are convicted that the God we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, but if not, somebody say that with me, but if not, I know what God is capable of doing, but I want to tell you what we have decided. If God doesn't keep us, if God doesn't preserve us, if God chooses to let us be burned up in the fire, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy God nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Hmm. My goodness. You talk about a conviction. It wasn't a preference. 
It wasn't something that you barter with. It was settled. We know what God can. We know what God does. We know what God's good at. But we want to tell you what we have decided. That if God doesn't answer our prayer and he doesn't even respond to us, we're not bowing, we're not bending, we're not worshiping. We've made up our mind who we're going to serve. And it doesn't matter what you do to us. It doesn't matter what you say to us. You will not turn our conviction from what we have determined to do. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three into the fire, bound, bound? And they answered and said unto him, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loosed, walking in the fire, sure-footed, not slipping. You know what will help you more than anything keep your footing in the times in which we live is to develop some old-fashioned convictions about living for God. And you know what? It may not be a necessity, but I've committed myself to doing it. I'm, I'm going to do it. It's not a heaven or hell issue. It's not if I do this, will I be lost? Or if I do that, will God not favor me? I've decided that I don't want to live so close to the edge that I might fall away. I'd much rather just live in the perfect will of God and be in the center of his will and let his blessings be upon my life than to wonder whether or not I'm going to make it. I need a conviction. We need some people with old-fashioned convictions around Greater Life Church that will not be intimidated by the hour in which we live in. And people that will not be intimidated by what others do because we are selling things very valuable, very cheaply today. Amen. I mourn the loss of old-fashioned convictions. We don't even hear that very often. Old-fashioned convictions. Some people don't even know what those are. But they're what help keep your feet from slipping. There's a loss that's being suffered in our world that is unnecessary. And if we would just simply step back in our life and establish some boundaries and some lines and say, you know what? I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I'm not talking that way. I'm not acting that way. Convictions will help you stand. Convictions will help you withstand. Amen. Whatever assault, there are too many that have lost what keeps men on their feet, and that's their convictions. Amen. Convictions, they will help you. We live in a day when people will make commitments at an altar, whether it be a church altar, a family altar, a marriage altar, or any other kind of altar. They'll make commitments at an altar that they are later unwilling to keep. I get tired of hearing people say, well, Brother Hughes, the fire has gone out. What do you do when the fire goes out? 
do you do when the fire goes out of your convictions? Well, I don't feel that way anymore, Brother Hughes. I, I, I don't know, maybe it's age or I've just grown up or maybe, maybe I have a greater revelation. Maybe I have a better understanding of God now than I had then. And, and so I don't feel like it's necessary. You know what I've learned to do when my convictions grow cold and when the fire goes out of my conviction, I keep living by what I committed myself to when the fire was burning. That's what I do. You don't come to a moment in time and say, well, I don't feel the passion anymore. When the passion is not there, you go back to wherever that passion was and you live by those principles that you established back then. Not what you're feeling at the moment, not the emotions of this present situation. You dictate to your emotions rather than letting your emotions dictate to you. Amen. Command your emotions to obey. Command your emotions to love. Amen. Praise God. You live by the commitments you make when the fire was burning. That's what you do. Amen. You live by the same commitments that you made when the passion was high. You need to dictate to your feelings and not let your feelings dictate to you. Amen. Proverbs 26 and 20 tells me that the fire goes out for lack of fuel. Now, I understand that that text is talking about the tongue and gossip and rumors. But the fact is, fire goes out for lack of fuel. So if you don't want the fire to go out, keep the fuel coming. Well, Brother Hughes, it's his personality that gets me. Get over it. Well, it's her attitude that gets me. Get over it. Go back to the commitment you made and say, you know what? I don't understand what's going on, but I know this. We're in slippery time. But I made a commitment to God, and I made a commitment to somebody else. And though the fire may not be burning tonight, I'm going to go back to that time when it was burning, and I'm going to live by those convictions. That's the only thing that will preserve your life, preserve your family, and preserve your future if you'll live by the convictions that you had when the fire was burning. Amen. So keep the fire burning. And to keep the fire burning, you've got to keep a lot of fuel handy. You know what I figured out about life? There's a lot of folks that have a champagne taste on a beer budget. And they want a filet mignon and pay for a hamburger. And then they gripe and complain about how unfair life is and how unthis that is. Come on, folks. In slippery times, we need to get some convictions. You know what? I am committed to this whether I feel it or not. I am committed to this whether my emotions agree with me at the moment or not. You know what? My emotions are too fickle to trust anyway. 
because there are moments in my life when I feel like a saint and there are moments in my life when I feel like the devil because of the attitude that's in my life. But I'm not going to let my feelings dictate to me what I am. I'm a child of God. And so when I begin to feel that coldness, I'm going to go back to when I felt that warmth and say, God, that's what I want to live by. That's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to stay in my course of life. I'm going to stay committed to those things that you have given me in my life. Amen. Keep the fire burning. The second thing that will help you keep your footing is your faith. Everybody say my faith. How indispensable faith is in keeping a standing. A belief, hear me tonight, a belief that in spite of everything happening, that God is still in control. Amen. I'm going to stand on that when I don't have anything else to stand on. Paul, what's going on in your world? Seasick, driven by a storm, torn apart. The Bible says that they had given up any hope of being rescued or saved. And yet one night, an angel of the Lord stood by Paul and said, Paul, everybody on this ship's going to be saved. The ship's not, but the people are going to be saved. You know what I've figured out in life? There's a lot of things that I think I've got to have to be saved that I don't have to have to be saved. And I can get through life with a few things missing as long as I understand that God's still on the throne and he's still in control of my life and my destiny and there is no storm that's going to end my life before God wants it to end. And there is no devil big enough in hell or out of hell that can get in my way of God's destiny for me. I don't care what he tries. If I hold to my faith and I keep my confidence in God that he is able and that he is willing and that he will help me. Amen. Keep your faith. A belief that in spite of all that could go wrong, God is still there. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, Paul said, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Why do I suffer what I'm suffering? Why do I put up with what I put up with? Why do I endure what I endure? Nevertheless, he said, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him unto that day. You know what, folks? Over the last few weeks, that's about the only promise that I could hold on to and come back to God with. God, 
I made some commitments to you. I committed some things to you. And your promise was that you would keep those things that I committed to you. And so I'm counting on you to keep your word to me in my life, in my family. And there are times in your life when the only thing you're going to have to go back on is your conviction and your commitment and your belief and faith in God that he is not going to leave you nor is he going to abandon you in your time of crisis that God will see me through. I may not be on the same vessel that I started out on, but I'm still going to make it. Amen. A ship and a board don't look like... I mean, if I had my choice, I'm choosing the ship. But the ship didn't last, but the board did. So you know what? Whatever it takes, I'm going to grab whatever's left, and I'm going to make it. Somebody needs to make up in your mind... I don't care if your life has disintegrated before your eyes and it's gone into a million pieces. You grab hold of a board and say, you know what? God, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it because you're not through with me yet. I'm going to make it because your promises have not come to pass yet in my life. I'm going to make it in spite of everything hell and the devil could do to try to destroy me and my family. I'm going to grab a board and hang on. Because your promise is nobody's going to be lost. Nobody. I have to live that way. Amen. I have to live that way. There are times in my life when the hardest thing to do is hold on, but I've learned that holding on is the only thing to do. There's times in your life that the only thing to do is just to keep on. I told somebody the other night, they said, how are you doing? I said, well... Most of the time in my life, I feel like if I just show up, that's a victory in itself. If I'm just here, I may be battered, beat up, bruised. I may not even feel like lifting my hands. But you know what? The Bible said he will hear my sigh. And if all that I can get out of me is a sigh, God's going to hear my sigh. And he's going to come and help me and minister to me. And that's the only reason that I stand here today is because every time I've needed him, he has always been there. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Not only do I need to live that way, but I have to worship that way. I'm tired of my feelings dictating my worship. There are times I feel like I need to just run around the church when it's dead as a doorknob just to let the deadness know you're not winning. Uh, Hallelujah! I'm going to come into the house of God and I'm going to lift my hand. You say, Brother Hughes, you must never have any problems. Come on and live with me a few days. But there's some things you have to leave at home. And there's some things you have to leave in the closet. And there's some things you just have to put clothing on over. You may have sackcloth within, but when you come into the king's presence, you make sure you have a garment of praise on because that's what he's looking for. He knows what you're going through. He knows the hell you're living in right now. But when you come into his presence, you come in singing. You come in rejoicing. You come in glorifying and magnifying him. Because he is worthy. 
Come on, clap your hands and praise him right now. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's how I'm going to serve him. That's how I'm going to work for him. I'm just going to keep faith alive. God, I know you called me. I don't know if it's an age thing, but it seems like the older you get, the more you question yourself. When I was young, I had all the answers. I knew everything. I couldn't hardly have anybody tell me anything about ministry because I knew everything. I look back sometimes at those moments and I think, God, forgive me. I hope whoever I was with will forget that I said some of those things. And I was so arrogant and boastful and proud. But now when I look around and see my human failings and my frailty, there's a lot of uncertainty that comes with that. But I made up my mind, God, I'm going to serve you with a faith and a confidence that if you never answer another prayer, you've already answered enough. Amen. If you never do one more thing for me or my family, you've already done enough. I'm going to live on that. I'm going to live in that. I'm going to serve him with that confidence in my heart. That God has been too good to me for me to fail Him now. Amen. And I close. The third thing that I believe will help anybody stay on their feet is your own experience. Amen. If you just take a moment and look around your life, there's not a person in this building that could not stand up and testify and say, you know what? I've already had too many things that God's done for me to question what he would do now. (laughs) I've already had too many prayers answered. I know where I am. In Genesis chapter 30 and verse 27, Laban answered and said, I pray thee if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience. That the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. Laban had learned that being in the right company and being around the right people had its own blessing that it brought into his life. And he had learned from those many times when he had cheated his son in law. (laughs) That was a story. The cheat that meets the cheat. The cheat that out-cheated the cheat. Jacob comes to Laban's home and he's a sneaking, sniveling cheat. He cheated his brother out of his birthright and he cheated his father out of what he should have passed on in the natural lineage of that family. And now he meets Laban and Laban is just as crooked as he is. And he said, oh, I want that woman, that, that one right there. I want that woman for my wife. And Laban said, okay, you work for me seven years, and I'll give her to you. And so he goes to work. He works his fingers to the bone. He shows up every morning on time. He doesn't clock in late. He doesn't take a day off. And after seven years, it's time for me to get my reward. 
The veil's put on. Marriage takes place. And the next morning, Jacob realizes he's been had. Leah, not Rachel. So what does he do? He goes back and he works seven more years. Some things are worth working for, folks. My God, have mercy. There's some things that's worth working for. If you don't get what you want at first, just keep working. Amen. Just keep working. And so he goes back, and somewhere in the process of all that, Laban began to realize, you know, all the blessings that are on my life are not because of what I've done. They're because of what this man right here has been in my life. And experience has taught me that if you put yourself in the right place, God's going to do good things for you. Amen. Sometimes the only thing I can do is just bring myself to the altar. I don't even feel like praying. Believe it or not, your pastor sometimes doesn't even feel like praying. But I come anyway. And sometimes I don't even have words to say. I don't even know. I told God the other day, God, I don't even know what to say to you. But I just came and I walked in silence. You know, there's been times I've been mad at God and I didn't even want to talk to him. There's been times when if God was sitting at my table, I wouldn't have even poured him a cup of tea. I know you don't ever feel like that. I wouldn't have passed him the sugar because I was mad at what was going on in my life. But somewhere back there in my life, somebody taught me that if you do anything, stay close to an altar. And so I just come and walk. But you can't walk very long in here without looking around and remembering the services. My Lord, the power of God that's fallen in this place and the blessing, the people that have been healed and helped and the people that have received the Holy Ghost. I remember one night a young girl, Christina Brown's friend, never raised around a church, didn't know anything about Pentecost, came and was sitting right here on this pew. And it was the end of the service. It was altar call. Brother Wesley Middleton was playing, and they started singing one particular song. And I remember that girl throwing her hands back and beginning to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave her utterance. Nobody taught her how to do that. Nobody, she didn't even know what was happening. I watched her as she melted and for almost an hour just bask in the glory. And when I walked to another pew, I see where God reached out to somebody that was away from him, and he pulled them back miraculously from the brink, and he restored something that was been broken. I look around at some of you that came into this place as messed up as anybody could be messed up. But you're whole tonight because you've been in a good place. And when I start looking around, my experience tells me that God has been so good to me. I'm just going to expand on my experiences. (laughs) Praise God. I'm going to pray in my experience. I'm going to worship in my experience. I'm going to sing. I'm going to clap my hands just like I did back there when we had that great breakthrough. Even when it feels like we're up against a concrete barrier and hell has thrown its doors open against us. I'm going to praise God and I'm going to worship Him like it was when there was such liberty that it felt like we were actually in a heavenly place and we felt like we had been lifted to another world. Because my experience tells me 
But God has been too good to be unkind. He has been too good to be unkind. And he has been too faithful to fail me now. You've come too late to tell me what God can't do. Some of you are living miracles right now. Some of you have children that are miracles. Yeah. You gave birth to a child. The doctor said you might not ever be able to have children, but you have children tonight. Somebody said you're never going to amount to anything. You're just a loser. You come from bad lot. You have bad genes. But you've proven that genes do not have to dictate your destiny. And you've come into a place where you found healing and restoration. Sometimes you just have to stand on that. My experience tells me that God is too good to be unkind. And he is too faithful to be untrue. I've been through the fire. I've already been there. I may go through another one, but I've already been through the fire. I've been through the flood. And the flood couldn't drown me. I've been through the storm, and the storm couldn't kill me. Woo! Come on, stand with me right now. I'm rattling now. <laughs> My Lord, help me. Experience. What are your experiences telling you right now? They're telling you to hang on. There's a new day coming. They're telling you to hang on. God's not through yet. They're telling you to keep praying, keep believing, keep worshiping because God has come through too many times before. You've come too late to tell me that God cannot or will not do anything. Isaiah chapter 43 begins like this. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. And when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. <laughs> and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, Thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Goodness gracious. Oh, my word. That's why I lift my hands tonight. That's why I praise Him. That's why I have a conviction in my heart tonight. Because I know what he's already done. I know what he's already brought me through. I know what he's already answered by way of prayer. And I know a God that has answered before will answer again. And so I'm just going to keep living in the experience that I have in him. Amen. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. <laughs> my Savior. Oh, uh, yes, my Savior. And since thou wast precious in my sight, my word, thou hast 
been honorable and I have loved thee, therefore will I give thee, will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy soul. I will bring thy seed. (laughs) I will bring thy seed. And everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, and I have formed him, yea, I have made him. You know, the only reason that I stand here today is not because of my goodness. It's not because I am some superhuman. I promise you, over the last few weeks and months of my life, nothing has shaken me like what has been going on in my own family in my life. But I know too much about God to distrust Him. And I know that he is faithful. And he's going to keep. He's going to keep my feet from slipping. He's going to keep my feet from coming out from under me. He's going to steady me in the most unsteady time. And he's going to see me through. Because my convictions tell me that. My belief tells me that. My experience tells me that. Amen. If you're here tonight, by the grace of God, I want you to slip out and just come and stand here with me at the altar. We close this service. If you know the only reason you're here tonight is because of the grace of God, I want you to come. Oh, yes, 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 yes.